G'day everyone and welcome to another edition of The Weekend Wrap brought to you by Crowcast. Of course, no crows in the finals but plenty to talk about with finals week one being quite interesting and a little bit revealing on a couple of teams I reckon but without any further ado, let's get right into it shall we? Good evening, Crowcast fans, and welcome to the Week 1 Finals edition of the Crowcast Weekend Wrap. No finals for the Crows, but uh, still plenty to talk about. Macro and Nicky, how are you guys going? Yep, no, doing well. Doing well. Nick? Doing well as well. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I made some Lego whilst I watched footy. I haven't done that for a while. Yeah, well, I mean, it was an interesting first weekend of... Um, the finals. Uh, interesting to see uh, two games in Tasmania and vastly different conditions for both of those teams and uh, for both of those games, I should say. And, uh, you know, probably reasonably pre- uh, predictable results to a degree, except probably for GWS, I guess. Um, but, um, yeah, lots to talk about. And, of course, on top of that, we've also got the, uh, the awards night. Uh, from the Adelaide Footy Club with a few reward, a few uh, awards being dished out and probably not a huge amount of surprises there and uh, a little bit to talk about around Tribunal and uh, other things, so tons to go on about. Marker and Nicky? Yep, certainly is. Thanks to well, everyone. We start, yeah, well, why not? You know, uh, thanks to everyone who's joined us in the Discord chat, of course, you know. Being a, a non-Crows uh, weekend, uh, we've still got a, a very good representation there in the audience and lots to talk about. So if anyone wants to join us for their say, uh, get into Discord, get in the live studio audience and uh, stick your hand up and we'll get you on board. Thanks also to people who are viewing us on YouTube and also Twitch. Right, uh, Macca, uh, you don't get your 15 minutes of fame because it's not a normal week, so... <laughs> <laughs> he gets an hour and something. Robbed again. Does he even get that? All right. Let's yeah. have a look. Let's have a look at um, at the first game, which was the Port Cats game. Uh, Port twelve fourteen eighty six. Uh, Geelong five thirteen forty three. A margin there of forty three points. Um, and uh, we'll probably dive in a little bit deeper to these games this week, um, considering there's only four of them. Um, what were your initial thoughts, Mac? Well, it was an absolute drubbing, wasn't it? Um, uh, Port, they doubled Geelong's score, and Geelong did not take the pressure. They, Port were actually very, very good with their pressure. They just, just pressured uh, Geelong out of the game. They Geelong tried to get that little fancy kick game going around, but... You know, the minute they made an error, they they suffered badly. And uh, I have, you know, I've been saying all along, I don't, I can't see Port as a premiership chance. But if they can produce that against the Melbourne or a, a Dogs team, well, they are a chance. And um, they recruit extremely well. And their two recruits that they 
got in Aaliyah Aaliyah and Fantasia. Both were stars in the game. And uh, yeah, in the first quarter, it looked like Geelong were trying to uh, kick it to Aaliyah Aaliyah as they said half forward. Everything just went to him. And I thought they were very uh, unimaginative the way they approached that. Um, well, Fantasia given, down... Given that Sorry. that's... Given that that's normally the style that Geelong play, you reckon that Chris Scott would have had the blueprint for how to avoid doing that. But you're dead set right, Mac. They just played straight into Port's hands in the first quarter and, uh, you know, uh, Lear's uh, value to Port's game plan is uh, no secret. <laughs> so no, just, it's just not. another example of, uh, you know, the master coach, Chris Scott, eh? Well, yeah, I will mention him in a minute, but... Uh, uh... But a great recruiting by Port Adelaide to get those two players. And Fantasia, he got his four goals, but he got a bit of a knock on the knee. And I don't know where he, whether he's going to be available in a couple of weeks' time. And I hope for Port's sake that he is because, uh, well, I think they, they deserve it. They played extremely well. I thought Boat was outstanding. He was my BOG and just a whisker in front of Wines. Um, but, yeah, I, Geelong, I think, are imitators now. Um they're in the has been brigade, and there's no flag in that uh, in that club. And to me, Chris Scott, he's been there forever. Uh, I don't like his game plan, and I don't think he'll ever win them a flag. And one day they'll wake up and they'll get somebody else. Was it 15 finals for three wins, Nick? Did I hear for Chris Scott? Yeah, something. Yeah, something like that. Well, yeah. it wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't survive any other club, so I don't know why he has. Well. Um, the thing is, he was gifted a premiership in that first year. We were, everyone accepts that. They were still playing the Bomber-Thompson game plan and they were basically coaching right. themselves. And he, he pretty much said that himself, Chris Scott. Um, and they have yep. tried to avoid um, uh, re, re, turning their list over. They've done a bit of a Hawthorne in that regard and tried to uh, plug gaps, etc., with various players. And to some degree, they've had success. Um I don't actually think it's the uh, it's the stock that they've got. I actually think it's the game plan that they play. I think it's it's he's been playing the same game plan now for the last you know five or six years, and uh, the game's moved past it. Coaches are well awake to it, and uh, any team that's got enough cattle to be able to counter it do so easily. And even yeah. with, and especially we saw it at the start of this year that he was one of the the teams that just didn't cope with those new rule changes. Mm. And whilst they got better as the season went on, there's still gaps to the way they play, and they've got the the massive advantage of their home ground, and they can use that because it works for their home ground, but it doesn't work elsewhere, and it doesn't work once you step up into finals, and you do have to change your game plan. You can't just stick to the the same the same way that you have, um, you need to be able to adapt a little bit because there's a lot more scrutiny that's going on to how you play, how you structure up, how to stop that, and conversely, how then the other team wants to play. And just I only saw the last half, but what I saw was a, a side that just didn't belong in the finals. No, on that performance, I didn't, Nikki. I mean... Uh... They can probably play a little bit better than that, but Port didn't allow them to play better than that. That's the whole point. Yeah, they just they crumbled under the pressure, and uh, so it's a it's a, a game plan without with with no alternative. There is no alternative. So once the game plan fails, they fail. 
I'll pick out a few interesting stats. Um, Port had more of the ball, 379 to 315 disposals, um, 60 inside 50s to 45. The interesting one for mine, apart from the ridiculous free kick count, now I'm not a Port supporter as everyone would know, but uh, that free kick count, even though it evened up a little bit towards the end, oh my God, did those umpires try to get Geelong over the line or into the game. Um the interesting one for mine was the clearances. Port only winning three centre clearances, um, and it was 26 to 22 clearances. Now, I don't know if either of you watched the game on KO or Fox. They had a very oh. interesting stat about secondary possessions out of clearance. And whilst Geelong won a lot of uh, clearance uh, uh, stats, the second possession... Port dominated, and it was a very interesting statistic and uh, very much around... It looked to me as if Port were corralling um, Geelong's midfield and trying to stifle their outlet. Yeah, they were just... They were were circling around it, and you particularly also see that um, when they were doing stoppages around the ground um, or when there was, like, a contest. Like, Geelong would try and get there first and they'd try and do that little flick handball but the way that Port had set up around them just nullified any outlet they tried and then they brought that pressure to bear, turned it over and bang, down they went. Yeah, uh, they, although they did win the centre clearances, they weren't, uh, well, first of all, Dangerfield won some of them and the the only uh, chest he ever hits is the uh, other teams. I mean, for a guy of his status and his standard and uh, ability to get the ball, I've... I'm amazed at the fact that over all these years he's never improved his kicking. Um, so uh, that's one of the reasons. But uh, also the, 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 the very fact that they just kept directing the ball exactly where Alia Alia was in that first quarter. So they might have been winning the ball out of centre, but just kicking it to him. And and to me, that when you've got somebody, and they, they talk them up, of those two players of Hawkins and Cameron's calibre, what were they doing to counteract Alia Alia? Exactly. Oh, I think Nothing. they. I think even their selection was a bit flawed. They could have had a third tool specifically um, to counter Alir, um to make him accountable, or to you know have a specific task to go with him one on one. They obviously missed Stewart on their defensive side, but I think they could have done more to make uh, Alir accountable, and they just at no stage tried to. And you know, Alir was parking himself on uh, what's that um, weird kicking. Rowan at Gary times, Rowan. and the and the other guy, um, the one with the weird kicking style, I forget his name. Um, oh, um, yeah, whoever it was, but he was he was allowed to do that. It was just ridiculous. Um, the other interesting stat uh, was the disparity in marks. Now they weren't all Alia, but uh, Port had thirty more marks um, than uh, Geelong for the game. It just shows you how much Geelong allowed them to get the ball on the outside and to use uh, Myers, as, thanks Scoot Malik Myers um, and Vardy and Matthew. Um, yeah, so just a, a really strange game plan by um, uh, by Scott. Um, you know, look at those tackles inside 50 numbers for Port as well, 12 to 3. They're uh, three tackles inside 50. That's that's Adelaide numbers. <laughs> so uh, It was. Um, yeah. But what kind of got me was they supposedly got this 
much better midfield. They're quicker than us, etc. But I'm thinking back to the game where we played against Port that, and when we were doing quite well against them, it was bringing it in closer to the 50 so you actually take a lead out of that contest because there's more options available. You can get deeper entries in or you can pick the, the nicer, shorter options. So that's where Cameron and um, Hawkins had to get on their bike. They had to work a bit harder and that midfield needed to do better. Um, I think Cameron's been was... disappointing for them. He's had a, he's kicked a few goals, but I don't think he's yeah. been worth the uh, time and money that they've uh, paid for him, and I don't think that they've used him particularly well either. No, but he kept trying to where any time I could actually see him actually attempt to get a mark, he's right on the the boundary line. Mm. It's like really well, he's banked his he's banked his check. He's yeah. happy. He just well, has to and, turn up. And blokes who lead to the boundary line. Uh, <clears throat> they they lack the confidence and the strength and the ability to get step separation to uh, lead down the V, um, and that's that's what uh, Cameron's been doing. Um, some notables: Ollie Wines had a really good game. I thought Duncan was uh, clearly Geelong's best. Trav Boak, how did he not get in the All Australian squad? I have no idea. Um, Amon's been Amon's been really good for them on the outside. Dersma chipped in really well. Ben Jones. Uh, a lot of people don't like him. I think he's, uh, I think he's a dead set gun for them off half back. Burton played really well. Um, they didn't have a lot of passengers really. Uh, the interesting thing will be what happens with um, Fantasia, as you said, uh, Mac. Uh, it looks like he's got a knee that he's been managing obviously all season. Georgiatis uh, reportedly will be okay for their preliminary final match, so it'll be interesting to see whether um, they go taller with Georgiatis. Um, or whether Fantasia's got enough time to uh, get that knee right again. Well, what is interesting is uh, if Fantasia is available and Georgia Artis is available, um, I would have both in my side. And so who goes out? Well, that's an interesting one too. Mm. Anyway, so good result for Port. They're straight into the uh, prelim, and of course, of course, Cats now uh, get a knockout. Um, the second game was uh, the. Uh, over the bridge clash or whatever the hell they call it <laughs> uh, in Tasmania. The Battle of the Bridges. That's, Battle of the Bridges, yeah. That'll do. And uh, my goodness me, I wonder if anyone of those Sydney players who had a shot for goal in that last quarter have been able to look their teammates in the eye, uh, particularly one, I forget which, who it was, uh, might have been Papley, straight out in front about 25 metres and... My goodness me. Yeah. Uh, the Giants in the end, 11-8-74, getting up by a point against the fast-finishing but inaccurate Sydney, 10-13-73. Yeah, it was a genuine contest all game, and to me this was the uh, the game of the finals, the best game from, from a spectator's point of view to watch. Uh, I really did enjoy watching this game. And uh, DWS, they went... Uh, the first quarter was pretty even. Then the second quarter, GWS got on top and got a four-goal break. Um, and they still held a 19-point break at three-quarter time. And Sydney, uh, they're renowned as being fast finishers. And so the game wasn't all over that, that stage. I thought GWS uh, went a little bit negative in that quarter, which also, helped, yeah, which also helped Sydney to become a, a lot more attacking. And... Uh, they got within seven points. There was probably still maybe half the quarter to go, and they scored six more times, but they were all points. Oh, and, and uh, some of them were very gettable. 
or two of them were set shot from maybe 20, 30 metres out straight in yeah. front and they've hit the post. Yeah. Uh, and then Buddy Franklin had the final one of those uh, six points and, uh, you know, you, you would have backed Buddy to kick it nearly nine times out of ten, but he didn't. And uh, uh, GW squeaked in by a point. And I suppose mm. that was that was that as far as the game went. But, you know, there was another highlight in the game. But firstly, Toby Green played very, very well. But there's more about Green to come. Well, uh, let's talk Taranto. about that afterwards. Yep, uh, Taranto and Kelly uh, played very, very well. Um, he for Sydney, very good game, I thought. Four goals and uh, positions around the ground. And Parker played pretty well in the middle. Uh, Buddy got his three got three goals, but still losing five short for the thousand. And uh, GWS, it, uh, if they have Green playing for them, which I don't think they will, uh, they they're good enough to make a game of it in the next round. But uh, that's all I've got to say about that one. Nick. I only saw the last minute. <laughs> well, that, that was the best minute. <laughs> I know it probably was, and it would. But even like watching that little bit, because um, I'd seen scores a couple of times earlier um, in the day, and you know, and Sydney was on top, and I thought, oh, mm, they'll get it. Because I was actually quite excited to watch this game, but unfortunately, I had another commitment, and I couldn't. And I thought, oh yeah, Sydney going to run away with it easy. So when I got home and turned on the TV, and was like, I looked at that score, like what? But the way that the pressure that GWS was just putting it on, they, they were just smarter um, even when they were trying to get, um, you know, some of those balls back back in the, the, for another opportunity for Sydney. I just think just watching what GWS were able to do and absorb that pressure, it they just seemed it wasn't a surprise to me after just seeing that little minute that they'd come back into the game. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't think uh, the Giants will have much left in the tank after that game. They looked a bit gassed uh, to me. Uh, it was a very good effort, uh, considering they've struggled to actually uh, get in the eight in the first place. And Sydney uh, have been pretty strong all year. Um, Sydney, to me, just let the game get away from them, to be honest with you. They always seemed there and thereabouts, um, but uh, just couldn't actually do anything about it on the scoreboard uh, let's look at some <clears throat> head-to-heads uh, pretty even disposals wise um, uh, disposal efficiency still uh, both pretty good inside 50s though 65 Sydney to 46 GWS with similar disposal numbers that tells you something doesn't it it's an amazing stat that one I was going to raise that uh, because yeah. it you know it uh, well, I suppose it's uh, also represented by the number of points that uh, Sydney kicked as well. Yep. Uh, Sydney would be hoping that Logan McDonald comes on because uh, they need another outlet. I, but he was good in the first half, I thought, but um, he's clearly ageing. Um, and uh, what's he got, one more year left on his contract? That's the ninth year, yep. Yeah. yeah um, interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, GWS killed him in the... Clearances, although Sydney were dominant around centre, but around stoppage, uh, GWS were dominant there, winning that stat by 14. More contested possessions, pretty even uncontested possessions. GWS burnt it a little bit more. Um, everything else reasonably. See, it's interesting, you know, uh, Sydney took 15 marks inside 50. I'd love to see the points from set shot stat because I reckon it's there oh, obviously it was their inaccuracy in the end but they were fairly inaccurate all game um, and it looks like it was their game 
to lose rather than the other way around. Tackles fairly even, um, so not a lot of noticeable disparities apart from that inside 50 stat. And it reads to me as a game, even if you have a look at the uh, heat map, a lot of the game was played in the back half uh, for GWS, uh, Sydney dominating possession around the middle of the ground. Uh, It all points to me, statistically at least, as a game that Sydney will rue losing. Yeah, look, they, the second quarter is a quarter where they they let the game slip away from them, and then really from there on in, it was there 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 to try and haul back in again. And they certainly had the opportunities inside fifty support that um, at the end those, those easy shots they missed. It should it should have been their win. It isn't, and now they they were in the top. In fact, they were in the top four for most of the season. There was only just near the end they slipped out of it. Um, so, yeah, they'd be ruining it. They'd be ruining it because they've been a good side all year and uh, I think, you know, they'll, they'll probably be an even better side again next year. Um, so, yeah, they'd, they'd just be thinking we blew it and GWS would be very happy to go on one step further. Yep, well, you've got to be in it to win it and GWS are still in it. Um, looking at some notable players, uh, Luke Parker had a really good game, 34 touches. Um, um, really... Uh, Maybe worth the uh, contract that he's reportedly seeking, 16 contested possessions there. And then a raft of uh, GWS midfield. Have a look at that. Perryman, Kelly, Taranto and Hopper. Um, so Parker playing, a, yeah, Parker playing a bit of a lone hand for uh, Sydney in that regard. Um, and then uh, got uh, Rampion, Lloyd in defence and Heaney up forward and sort of floating around for Sydney. Whitfield also... So, you know, some good performances, uh, a fairly even game, and as I said, probably one that Sydney would rue. Now, we may as well talk about the uh, the Toby Green incident while we're here. Um, uh, to my mind, uh, yeah, well, it's been referred to the tribunal, which means that... Um, Michael Christian has deemed that it wasn't incidental or that he did deem that it was uh, aggressive or, um, you know, whatever the other words that are associated with that. Uh, So that means that it goes from an automatic fine situation to a likely suspension. Well, uh, because he rated it as intentional, then it goes straight to the tribunal. Tribunal. Yeah. So if you that's if you touch an umpire deliberately. Yep. I mean, well, um, no, that's not I, the only criteria because Lockie Neal touched an umpire deliberately earlier in the season and got a fine because it, it wasn't be the way because it, it, because it wasn't deemed aggressive. That's the word. Yeah. Uh, well, certainly uh, Lockie Neal's wasn't, and this one certainly was. I I, I just couldn't, couldn't believe my eyes when I, when I was watching it, and I was like. Green walking, and he's walked straight into the umpire, and and like, and the umpire's sort of spun around sideways, and uh, I'm thinking, I I know you, I think he's like mentally deficient when he's playing in terms of uh, logic, um, not football logic, but ordinary logic. As he just crosses the white line and gets white line white fever, line fever. He, yeah, classic white yeah. line fever. Yeah, and everything's not logically brain after that. He just and those are all silly types of things, but 
Walking to an umpire is just something that, and aggressively, I thought it was in an aggressive fashion because he was actually mouthing a lot at, at him at the umpire as he was speaking. And then, when he moved towards the umpire as well. Yeah. He actually moved um, into the umpire as well. It wasn't incidental shoulder clash. It was pretty much a shirt front. Uh, it, it was very much what yeah, you would see from somebody, a, a bully uh, type person who was aiming to physically intimidate. To intimidate, me. yeah. And that's exactly how I saw it. Yeah, well said. I, I, I agree. That, that sums it up very nicely. And uh, I noticed that the uh, Vardy Magic in the chat, he said that the, the umpire looked emotionally hurt. And I, I must say, the umpire just had a very strange look at his face just to say, did that really happen? Yeah, I think I would have been shocked as well if I was an umpire. It's not something that you expect in AFL football. Um, and to be perfectly honest with you, I think Green should get two weeks for that. I think well, he should miss the rest yeah. of the final series. Well, that's my, that's my assessment too, Fane. Um, I've, I've tweeted that, that the very same penalty. That's what I would do. I'm, um, it wasn't like a punch or wasn't anything like that. It was, but it was. Uh, but there, there is. He might get away with two. Two's the minimum, I think. But they might then say, "But we can't allow people to even think about doing that. Mm. Therefore, we have to make make a real big example of this." And they might they, they might make it four or six or something uh, really tremendous, just so that people just don't even think you you'd even try to do that again. So, like I think to me it's probably worth two, but I I would be uh, not one bit surprised if you got somewhere between four and six. Well, I wouldn't be disappointed either. I, I you know it doesn't matter what you think about umpires and the way they officiate the game; they are completely defenceless on the field. Um, they're physically smaller than every person out there. Um, they, uh, you know, the unwritten rule there is well, it's a written rule, really. But even before, it doesn't, it shouldn't even need to be written. Um, you know, and that it's it's one step short, in my opinion, of the of the famous Phil Carmen incident. It's one step short of that. Yeah, the well, only thing that he didn't do is headbutting. Yeah, well, you know, one cat, one uh, person in the chat said that surprised that the umpire didn't uh, stood his ground and didn't move slightly, move out the way. Well, that's not the, for the umpire to do. The umpire no. doesn't expect. To be no, the, um, the, um, the umpire actually should not have to move in that instance. It's actually no. about the players. Even if they disagree with what's going on, you still yep. have to show respect. Yep. And there is a, a severe lack of respect coming from Toby in that instance, and. As much as people will hate it, there's all oh, we didn't hit him, yada yada yada. There was that sense of intimidation. He knew exactly what he was doing. He unfortunately, Toby doesn't have the common sense gene um, when he's on the football field, and we've seen that a number of times. And he does need to. Have, I think there needs to be a serious number of games aligned with this incident. So you would give him what, Nikki? I, I think the four to six is probably. Um, there'll be an outcry if it does happen, but I think it from from some areas. But I think it needs to be. He needs to miss some games next year as well. It, it's got to send quite a clear message, and it and it has to because it's what 
we've seen some incidents this year at lower levels of much more serious than this, and it has to start at the top. They have to lead by example on what is acceptable and what is not, and that is not acceptable. What would you give him, Fang? Uh, well, I'd rule him out of the final series. So I guess to guarantee that you give him at least three. Yeah, and I think that's fair enough. But and look, I think whatever they give him is probably fair enough because you don't, first of all, you don't do what he did. And secondly, and then it's up to the AFL how they want this to be seen. So um, uh, two to three is probably a fair penalty if just for the incident. But if you're trying to say you don't do that, and the, the fact that also it was, as Nicky said, it did look like a bit of a, almost bullying. Um, yeah, so he, he could easily get the four to six rate. It, he, want... If it was a shoulder clash, I, I could come at a couple. But he moved towards Stevic in an aggressive manner and he was one step away from giving him a Liverpool kiss. And the last time that happened on an AFL football field, Phil Carmen got um, (laughs) banned for, you know, for a year or something. I can't remember what it was. Um, 16 or 18 weeks, I can't remember, yeah. It's that yeah. level of seriousness. It's got no, It's nothing like when Lockie Neal tapped an umpire on the shoulder and say, "Hey, I'm bleeding." No, it's not even in the same stratosphere as that. This is was yeah. an intimidating act against a defenceless umpire walking off the ground, not in play. Green has walked straight towards him and actually moved towards him with his last couple of steps and uh, deliberately made physical contact. He shouldn't be in the game. And let's let's keep this in mind too. Green is GWS's captain. Um, Good point. And, and this bloke, you know, I think at times Toby Green has been harshly dealt with. Um, I think some. I think there's a bit of a green tax on suspensions for him. Um, I wasn't particularly. Uh, in agreement with the whole studs up boot thing because that's. That's been a part of football for a while, actually. Going for a, a mark with your with your foot up and protecting yourself. You're allowed to protect yeah. yourself when you're going for a mark. So I didn't agree with that one. Uh, but unfortunately... Oh, but Betts, Betts used to do it. Yeah, but, but it was unfor- okay for Eddie to do it. That's right. But unfortunately, um, uh, he made a rod for his own bat too many times, and this one's unforgivable. One thing I want to say is that I think we've... Uh, Australianized Razor. I thought he, I like his quote. He, he was surprised the umpire didn't flop down paying claim for a free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, well done, Razor. I like your comment, mate. Well, I, th- I think the umpire's actually going to go there and stick up for Green, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah. uh, he shouldn't. No, and, and from what they were talking about on the call today, that there's a secondary amount of vision where you can actually see him physically make contact with the shoulder yeah. and that movement sideways. And they, and all of them on the panel were just straight away going, yeah, he's going to get weeks. There's yeah. no way he can get out of that. Has to. Yeah. All right. Anyway, let's move on from that one. Uh, and the Giants will be lesser without him. Uh, all right. And I, so, sorry, Nick, go on. I was just going to say, because if we then talk about the fact that, you know, that matchup is between them and Geelong, I think if they had Toby Green in the, the team, you'd say, oh, yes, that's probably likely to be a a win to GWS possibly. Now without Green, I think 
Geelong are going to get another, possibly another little lifeline. Well, it's certainly uh, it, it's something in their favour. It's a bonus for Geelong, in my opinion. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, and we had uh, Melbourne, uh, a very, very commanding win over Brisbane at Adelaide Oval, 13-15-93, 33 points in the end to uh, Brisbane, 9-6-60. Uh, my opinion was that Melbourne just basically overpowered Brisbane. Brisbane didn't really fall away, but they they Melbourne just physically overpowered them, in my view. Well, very good summary there, Fiend, because they... They were far too good, um, and uh, you know they haven't won a flag for fifty-seven years. So this block is pretty desperate, and uh, they were quite physical, but they're also very talented. So, and as you said, physically overpower them as well. Uh, I thought Brisbane were brave, they, but they're not in the same quality in terms, in my opinion, as this particular particular team is. Um, they had no hip wood up forward, and then uh, McStay who. Got smashed in the face by a teammate. That didn't help very much. Oh, it wasn't that painful. Oh. Oh. That was very bad. And they really left Charlie Cameron as the only really potential scorer up there. And he did kick five. Uh, I mean, Joe Danaher, he's, he's very erratic and he's all over the place. But um, Charlie, uh, he didn't do a lot, but he did get goals when the ball came his way and he got five. Um, but overall, when you think you've got Gorn, you've got Oliver, you've got Petrarca, and when you go up forward, uh, you've got Fritch up there to take him out, picking goals. And um, what's his name? The young lad, is it Jackson? Um, yep. Uh, the second rush, yeah. he, he came marks up forward and he rucked well as well. Um, they've just got uh, they've got power all around the ground. You go in the back lines and, you've, and then all of a sudden you come up against Lever and May. Um, and I just think, as you say, they uh, just overpowered them, just too strong, yep. too good. Um, just should mention Neil, like uh, Lucky Neil, forty-six possessions. I thought really he he played a ripper of a game. He that's he did. A, he's been down in the dumps and he's coming back, and uh, that was a, a great game. I thought, but you know, all to no avail. Uh, they they're not a flag contender. They'll they'll get. They'll, in my opinion, not, not, on, that not no, on that performance. they'll be result. Yeah, they'll be out I, this week. I think the the main problem was that once they lost McStay. And the replacement was a much smaller player, and they didn't quite know how to rejig. Then, Reith um, Matheson, why the hell is he still on? That yeah, um, and because up until that point, it was it was a very even game, and they were causing problems with those their tools up forward. And Charlie was then able to, and the way they were bringing it down was quite well because they were countering uh, Lever and um, the other. Um, Melbourne defenders and once they lost that then that was out the window you know no matter what they were going to do they were never going to be able to go with Melbourne there was some very interesting freeze um, that did possibly didn't go uh, Brisbane's way there that that possibly should but and I I was actually really looking forward to this game because I actually thought that yeah Melbourne will probably make it but I thought Brisbane could push them and I think if McStay had not have been uh, injured by Cockatoo, who I think did basically nothing else for the rest of the game as well. I think he was actually a liability on the ground for them. Um, it might have been a much different game in the end. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, they look very powerful when they've got McStay and also Hipwood up there, but losing Hipwood a few yeah. weeks ago and McStay, you know, 
for that period of time during the game, uh, they just lost any potency up forward. Um, they play um, Danaher quite high usually, so uh, he's not effective around the goals terribly much, no. um, Joe, because he's too far up the ground. Um, you know, But again... It was a midfield for Melbourne. 68 inside 50s to 45 is a massive disparity. Massive disparity. Um, yeah, and Petrarca, absolute beast of a game. Yeah, yeah. you know, clearances and, and around the ground and also in the middle were fairly even, but just their ability to win 50-50 contests. 163 contested possessions to 141. Um, you know, again, you can see that uh, looking at the heat maps there, uh, game was very much in the back half and I think you'll find it, I'll just click through the quarters, you can see uh, in the first quarter uh, very much in Melbourne's defence uh, but as the game wore on it just became a defensive struggle for Brisbane um, so they're going to have to do a bit of tweaking I think um, you, look, you can see that uh, aerial aerial dominance as well 81 marks to 68, 15 marks inside, 50 to 5, 12 contested marks to 2 that's the story right there. At Melbourne's midfield uh, are able to take marks. Their transition players are able to take marks. Um, and Brisbane's uh, transition players just couldn't. Yeah. Uh, Nicky mentioned Petrarca, but Oliver was outstanding, Nicky. I, I thought uh, Oliver BOG. Oh, yeah. We, I mean, to me, the, Oliver, the standard that he's had this year, he was kind of at that. And Petrarca, I just thought he just lifted a little bit extra this game and created even more of a, a dimension for their, their midfield. I mean, he, he's a quality midfielder to begin with, but I just thought there was a bit more of a, a step up and a presence from him. Yeah, I think he's a little bit quiet in the first quarter, but he did lift in the last three quarters and had a very, very good game in the end. But um, no, I, I think, you know, there's three players, Gorn, Oliver and Petrarca, and I think they, they are the barometer. If those three five for the Melbourne, gee, you can't stop them. I really like the way Petrarca plays. Uh, like He's got all the attributes you want. He's strong, he's powerful, he's passionate. He is able to bullock his way through. He kicks a goal. Um, you know, uh, that goal he kicked in the last from the, from the pocket there was a ripper. Um, but I don't think there's a better player in the competition at the moment on his day than Clayton Oliver. He's just an yeah. absolute monster when he gets going. Yep. Would love to have him. Would yeah. love to have him. Yeah. And you can see here, again, this is a situation where you've got Lockie Neal with 458 disposals and then you've got basically Melbourne's midfield, Oliver, Petrarca, Viney, uh, Neil Bullen, uh, before you get to another midfielder uh, in uh, Jared Lyons, who was relatively quiet, even though he had 27 touches. Um, Danny Rich down back now. I just just because it, it, it's uh, on my mind. Uh, well, no, we'll talk about it in a minute. Uh, remind me to to say something about Rich in a in a little after we've gone through the games. Um, you know, Zorko was quiet. Only for, only 20 disposals, which is a quiet game for him. Yeah. Um, Harris Andrews was bad. Yeah. Chris Andrews becomes a different player in finals, in my opinion. He got, he seems to go into his he, shell, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, I was going to say, he, he was like a, a turtle. <laughs> he's, he's up and about. He loses um, all that happily. proactivity that he has yeah. usually and seems to just want to man up and it, like it's like he's too afraid to make a mistake or something. 
Yeah, I, I thought he had a very, very ordinary game. Very yeah. ordinary game. Agreed. Agreed. All right, and the last game, which was played this afternoon, uh, Essendon for a while took it up to the Bulldogs, but the Bulldogs found their mojo. Yeah, yeah, 13 7 49 points in the end over Essendon, who would be disappointed with that outcome, 4 12 36. Interestingly, um, I thought, you know, when the game started that uh, the Bulldogs were actually struggling to get a game going, and Essendon did have a game going. And I think the relevant factor there was the fact that the game, uh, that the ground was dry. It hadn't started raining then. And. Um, I, to me, I, I thought the Bulldogs were really struggling to get their game going um, and were just hanging in there. And then when it started to drizzle and then it got wetter and wetter and the wetter it got, the better the Bulldogs got. So when it went down into a contest where, where you scramble for the ball and fire out the handballs, etc., they got totally on top. And uh, um, it, as I said, it was a contest for... A certain period, and then once the rain came, no contest. And, in fact, in, in the end, Essendon got embarrassed as the game went on. The Bulldogs, that'd be very, the Bulldogs would be really, really happy with the situation, what happened, in the sense that they they were struggling and then managing the same game. And to get, as you say, they got their mojo back, and the longer the game went, the better they were going. And um, it just was a nice tune-up for their next final game, in my opinion, because um, they had a situation where they were behind the eight ball early, they had to struggle to try and get even, then they got even, and then they got on top, and then they actually killed them. So to me, it was just a nice tune-up for the Bulldogs. It was like that first quarter was great because it was so close. It was like only three points or something in it. Then you're right, Mecca, that that rain came in, and that then proved that they picked the wrong team for Essendon. Peter Wright was completely ineffective. They had too many tools up forward. And what I noticed as well, and because they were just continually bombing it in from um, quite high up, that midfield needed to run it in close. They needed to try and get the run through the midfield to get it in closer and get better options instead of just these high balls bombing in. It was like I was watching an Adelaide game. Um, but then their smalls, when it was being tapped at the front, they would t- they would get too close to the contest and the ball would go over the head and it goes straight back out again. I was getting so frustrated watching it and I can imagine um, that Rutten and the other resident coaches would have as well. It was just some very basic stuff that they needed to do to keep themselves involved in the game because they were getting the ball into their forward line. They just need to be better about it and smarter about it. Yeah, a bit of inexperience there, a bit of like finals pressure and inexperience, I think, yeah. Nikki. Um, they'll be better for it. I think they'll be very disappointed. Don't need to kick five points in the second half. Um, yeah, but- oh, yeah. You know, they're, be- they're a better team than that, and uh, that would be disappointing for them. But, um, you know, all credit to Western Bulldogs. I think your observation is a very good one, Macca, about the weather change. Um, it did seem to – the game came back to the Bulldogs a little bit. Um, weather, yeah. when the weather changed and they took full advantage of it. Stats were very even uh, during the course of the game. Um, Bulldogs got the got the good end of the umpiring, but uh, clearances, you can they see there, 45-37, they, they got on top of that in the second half, 14-7 centre and 31-30 around stoppage. Um, 170 contested possessions to 150. Um, right would be disappointed with that disparity, I think. Um, 
I would have thought he'd be shattered actually because you know um, early in the piece it looked like as I said that they were going to make a real game of it maybe even maybe pinches if they kept going but uh, yeah as I said once once it became wet and then it was down really to contested footy that was then it all became uh, bulldogs and just got worse and worse and worse and yeah and Rutten I feel sorry for him because I you know I like the guy and he was, was sitting there and. He would have had dreams. They were just getting shattered in lumps if the game oh, went on. So yeah, but I mean, come on, mate. It, uh, I don't take you to be sentimental type. It's Rutten's first rodeo. Like they'll be back. Yeah, I felt that for oh, three yeah. minutes. I felt that for three minutes, Blaine, but it soon goes. <laughs> I, uh, I think, like, if this final was rise. played, and you were you were spot on, Fiend, that if this game was being able to play on a dry deck. I think they would have really pushed um, a, a lot of teams. Yeah, um, they're I unlucky they're, with the weather. Oh yeah, and they're, they're definitely going places. And even they were still trying that. I, I, I mean, I thought Parrish was doing a great job, but he was also one of those that was um, kicking it up high and not probably making the best decisions, trying to get the ball forward. But mm. you know, his ability to get back in defence, help out, and try and get those defensive rebounds was was quite good. Essendon's got their their team of the future, you know, and uh, their ruckman, for example, we, uh, young Draper. I mean, he played bugger all games, and I thought that he played a reasonably good game, particularly early when uh, before it got too wet. Um, I think I think they're a team with a lot of promise, and I think they'll be they'll be in finals next year. Yeah, I think they're a team on the rise. Um, just finally, I think uh, the reemergence of um, Tom Liberatore has been underplayed in the media. Um, you know, you only have to look at the bloody kids' drawings on his arms to see where he was at a few years ago, um, and. For him to now be a dominant force in that midfield is a credit to him. And I'm not a big fan of him by any stretch. But hats off to him to be able to perform in finals and and to be able to get back to the form that he promised a few years ago before he took a bit of a detour and to knuckle down and and decide to have an AFL career. You've got to take your hat off to him. Yeah, uh, I 100% agree with you, Pete. Absolutely 100% agree. Um, and what a bargain uh, Adam Trelaw was for them as well. 28 touches in a final. Um, you know, uh, to be able to get Adam Trelaw in the circumstances that they did basically uh, to to win that deal because of Collingwood's stupidity. Yeah. Being kissed on the backside. You're not wrong. I mean, we, we're, never, we're never in that position. What are we like... Would be a lovely vision to be uh, able to uh, rape good players off out of a club because of the fact that they are so inefficient and with their handling their money. And, uh, I, th- I think we got lucky with Eddie. I think that was down to Carlton's mismanagement. Well, that that was yeah. one we did, yeah, no doubt about that. Um, but because uh, there are ten teams in Victoria, when when something like that that happened, the players more likely to go to another Victorian club than come oh, here. No doubt, no doubt. Right. Are you going to say something? I mean, and remind you about something. Oh, no, I'll, I'll cover that in a minute uh, when we get yep. to um, Crow's news. So just to round off um, the outcome of the weekend, we've now got uh, two knockout finals ahead of us next week. 
we've got uh, Geelong versus the Giants at Optus Stadium. Uh, and we've got Brisbane. How are they playing this at the Gabba? Because they can get a full house in. Yeah, but isn't there, yeah. isn't there border restrictions? Uh, um, not with Brisbane. Apparently not. Victoria had another 80K. Oh, 90 cases, yes. Good luck. Yeah. All right, so we've got but the Cats, Cats and the Giants. Uh, Brisbane, very lucky, I think, to get a home final against the Bulldogs. Uh, and this is where it becomes hard for the Bulldogs because as much as they're probably back in it form-wise, they've got a win and few on the road now. Yep. Well, yes, they will. All on the road, yeah. I mean, in a row, sorry. Um, you know, they don't get the benefit of the week off like Melbourne and uh, Port do, and it could be costly in the end. They did it in 2016. Um, the interesting thing, though, with the Bulldogs is I think also what, that discussion where they started to fall off a bit was they had those injured players and they've got the back. So I think there might be a little bit of freshness maybe that may help them. Um, but it is going to be interesting, the fact that they now have to go to Melbourne um, and not Melbourne, Perth, and stay there. Um, so it's, it's who copes best out of that really. Yep. Uh, what are your picks as we round this one off? I think it's going to be the July, the Giants, the Giants, the Giants <laughs> in an upset at Optus Stadium. Um, and if that game is played at the Gabba, it is. I have a, I, it, well, I mean, it's still TBC, uh, so mm-hmm. a lot can change. But if it's played at the Gabba, I'm going to go stick my neck out and go for Brisbane. Um, I'm with you on that, those two picks. They're playing the dogs up there, is that right? Playing yep. the dogs up there, yeah. If it's played at the Gabba, I reckon it's Brisbane. Um, no, I just think that uh, the dogs got a nice tune up today. Um, I'll go for the dogs. Go for the dogs. Very yep. good. Very good. All right, so that's the finals out of the way. And let's face it, none of us really cared about the finals. Uh, <laughs> but we had uh, we had a few other things going on uh, as well in Crowsland. Um, we had the All-Australian squad selected uh, and we had two players in there. Unfortunately, though, fortunate, uh, apparently, apparently, uh, wingmen aren't as uh, valuable as uh, rebound defenders. Oh, you go by the All Australian team. Yeah, I see what you mean. Hey, look, Seisman should have been on the wing. There's no doubt about that. He's been the best wingman in the competition this year yep. uh, by, by a long, long way. Now, to have um, the two that they had on the wing. They've spent moments on the wing only because of mixtures of midfield, not as wingmen, pure. Uh, Any wingmen at all. Well, I think they said that uh, Merritt was 4% of his time being spent on uh, the wing. Yeah, I mean, look, they're not, they're not wingmen. Let's be honest. They're not no. wingmen. Paul Seedsman was a halfback slash wingman. He played um, wing most of, uh, most of the uh, season. And if they can put in Daniel Rich in as a rebounding defender, 
then because of his long kick and his ability to to you know set up play, then what were they watching when they were watching Paul Seisman? Yeah, well, who statistically was the best wingman in the competition this year. And and actually statistically best wingman for a number of years. Now, well, you know that I'm not Paul's greatest fan and we have good seed and bad no. seed. Um, but he deserved it. But when I saw Daniel Richard made the team, I what just, shook, I just shook, shook my head. I shook my head. What? Well, yeah, because I've watched some Brisbane games this year and Rich has not been that good at all. I don't know what stats they're looking at, what games they were looking at, but the fact that it, this is apparently all Australian quality off the half-back line, no. Mm. I, I, I just think I, I was really angry about that because I thought Siege would get in and because by far the best wing for the year um, and he's Form in the last few matches was outstanding, which is the right time to bring your attention to the selectors, and yet they still couldn't uh, put a wingman in there. What they always look at, it's a midfielder's team. Uh, it's like the Brownlow is a, is a midfielder's medal. Um, I can understand the midfielder's medal, but an All-Australian team should be so, at least representative of uh, the positions they play in. And if there are a lot of good players playing for the midfield, well, then you pick the best of those best players. You don't pick and just chum everywhere else on a half-back flank, on a wing and a half-forward flank. I just think it's not right. No, it's, I mean, they've talked a little bit in the, the chat, you know, that, that it's just getting worse and worse each year with this. I just did not care. I saw his name and I was quite pleased that he got nominated and I thought he's absolutely deserved it in that position. But in my heart of hearts or my brain actually just went, yeah, they're not going to do it. They're going to do something stupid. They're going to put an extra midfielder in there or one of the other players that they they kind of don't want to. The whole thing, though, in terms of this is that they're not picking a team. You're spot on, Macca. And that's what it should be. And the fact that they keep getting it wrong year after year, why do they keep putting those same bloody selectors back in? Because it's not a team that's uh, fitting in all the best. And, you know, midfielders always going to dominate uh, a game, and they, but they don't play half back flank, and they don't spend much more time on a half forward flank. Um, you know, they get rotated in on and off the ground mostly, and uh, you get the rear one like Martin, Dusty Martin, who goes forward and has spells up there. Um, but the average, you know, have a look at the other merit. Merit doesn't go to a forward pocket. He just goes both on the ball and he goes off and he comes back on again. So it's, it's absolute crap. I've got the team up on the screen. There's, no, I mean, uh, Merritt and uh, McRae probably deserve to be on the bench, as you say. Um, they do. They do. Um, I feel like uh, the back six is pretty solid, except for Rich. Um, I feel like. There's a noticeable omission up forward um, because of political reasons. Who do you reckon that might be? Yeah, Tex. I mean, Tex had to be the centre forward, and uh, I don't know. I I think he still should have been there. Um, the the situation. He's look. It's like uh, he did something wrong, and he's been punished. But players get into all Australian teams if they. Uh, 
bash somebody in the head and they get three weeks or something like that, they still can get in the All-Australian team. I just don't think that he was treated fairly. Nick, what do you reckon? Um, uh, it is a hard one. It's not a hard one. Not a hard one. It's it's it says um, it it is the same as saying Tex wasn't the leading goal kicker for Adelaide this year when he obviously was. The All Australian team yeah. is purely a performance based recognition. Yeah. And and if and if you're going on that, then he absolutely absolutely should be. But the AFL and issues uh, around this if with what has actually happened and um, I can understand why it was uh, a no-go for them. Oh, I know why it wasn't, but uh, I'm sorry, but this is not a... Well, no, 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 this is not a political issue, um, Macca. Uh, Tex messed up and rightly paying the price for it. But there's yeah. a few other blokes in there. Toby Green got uh, suspended during the year, didn't he? Um, yeah, that's my point. A few other blokes got suspended during the year. Um, the, the simple fact is that Tex Walker um, deserved to be one of the two key forwards in that All-Australian team. And the only reason that he's not is because of an off-field incident that he's been punished for. And the All Australian team, if it was a, if it was a, uh, you know, a captain's award or a bloody, you know, something that that talked about character, then I can understand. But this is a performance-based award, and uh, I just, I don't know. I, I just think he should be in there. I do too. So, uh, so what we really think is that, um, as usual, the All Australians made a uh, selectors made a, a total cock up of it. Um, so we we think that uh, Seaman should have been in there. We think, well, maybe not Nicky, but we think that Walker should have been in there. And I agree with you, Daniel Rich, All Australian. Come on, let's be serious. Well, and I also think, even though he was named in the final team, I think Took Miller was probably. Would have been if had he not been suspended for a, a game. I think he would have been top three Brownlow, um, and he should have been named on the ground. That's probably my other one. Yeah, he's yeah. Had a, yep. Well, yeah, statistically, anyway. he's been the most outstanding midfielder in the competition. That's that's correct. That's correct. Anyway, uh, that's they never get it right, so that's okay. Um, let's talk quickly about the uh, club champs. And uh, we had the club champs on, when was it, Friday night, Saturday night? Something like that. Saturday night. Saturday. Saturday night. And uh, we had Rory Laird uh, coming up as club champion. Oh, no, that was the other thing. We'll talk about this and then we'll talk about something else just quickly before we wrap up. (laughs) And don't forget, if anyone wants to uh, uh, have a quick say, uh, we've probably got about five or ten minutes left, so stick your hand up and get on board. Uh, Lady, any any arguments about Lady being uh, named club champion? No, no, none none whatsoever. The only one, well, he only had really one 
major challenger to him, and that was Keys. Uh, and I think that Laird was a whisker. If we, if we didn't have look at their voting, if we didn't look at anything else, you just went off the top of your head. You'd say, oh, to be Laird or Keys, and Laird just. And I think the voting was exactly that. So I think, you know, it's a, if it passes the pub test, right? Yeah, there's a couple of surprising ones. I was surprised that Brodie Smith polled as high as he did, and I was also surprised that Jake Kelly and Riley O'Brien got in the top ten. Yeah, I, you've got to remember that uh, you've got to, to get in there, you've got to accumulate points consistently, um, and I think that's one of the reasons why Jake Kelly's there. He's had a very, very consistent year. Um, I don't think he's everybody's favourite player, Um He's not necessarily mine, but he's very he's fairly reliable, but he's slow to move the ball on. But he's actually played reasonably well all year. So it's an accumulation of point situation for him. Um, as far as uh, who was the other surprise thing? Well, Jake Kelly, Riley oh, O'Brien, even Rory Sloan getting in the top ten, really. Although yeah, we've got to have somebody else. We have to have somebody else to take it away from them. And... Uh, a game with Smith that uh, accumulation of points situation over the 23 games that, you know, he had some really good games. He had some uh, medium games. He had some poor games. But the point is that, uh, as I say, if you play most of the games um, and you play well enough to be in the best players um, in quite a few of them, you're going to be in that top 10. Yeah, probably a fair call, mate. Probably a fair call. Uh, Kieran Strawn named the best and fairest in the twos um, and just underpinning a great season for Kieran, uh, finishing off with a couple of really good performances in the AFL team to round out a great season for him. And given that he would have been last man picked on the bloody list, I reckon, uh, <laughs> the fact that he uh, stood up, got himself fit and uh, really put made every post a winner, all credit to him, all credit to him. Um, um interesting. He's not. He's not resigned at this stage, Fiend. Nope. Just might be fielding um, a couple of offers. What do you reckon? Well, that, that's my concern because um, I, yeah, I really would like to see him resign. I don't know. And the problem's going to be is he's had a taste now. He's he's played two games at AFL level, and he's uh, he can uh, he doesn't just have to think it. He's being told he's performed very creditably and. Yeah. Uh, and then, which would alert? There's many a club out there looking for a ruckman. Clubs are always looking for a ruckman. And yep. uh, certainly, if I was at another club and I saw Strawn unsigned, I'd be offering him more than Adelaide's likely to to, to get him. So, um, I'm hoping that Adelaide get off their bums and sign him very quickly and keep him because um, if he were to play like that all the time, you'd have to really think at times of you know rotating him and uh, Riley O'Brien because. I, I like the way he played. Lots of options there, um, Mac. I agree, but uh, I don't think we'll. Uh, I don't think if we lose him, it's going to be the end of the world. And let's not forget that it's a very tight list this year. So uh, anyway, uh, Nettie McHenry is. won the uh, what's the Brian Sandino medal for again? Uh, being a good bloke. Uh, professionalism. No professionalism. Or uh, yeah, and so it's like adherence to training and. Um, you know, just basically being the coach's pet. Yep. So that's Natty all over. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not, not, I, 
not wrong. <laughs> Absolutely not wrong with that with that award. I, I know you're that you, you're quite right in everything you just said there, Nikki. But look, um, I was quite pleased to see him get the medal because, as I said, I poured shit all over him last year, and I think rightly so. Uh, this year, I, just as the seasons emerged, and as, the longer it, the season went, I thought the better McHenry got, and. I could actually, I can actually see a footballer in him now, whereas I couldn't see one before. And uh, so, look, something like that will even encourage him further. I, I expect him to have a very good year next year. Yeah, well, you put the kiss of death on him now, haven't you? Uh, Tommy, <laughs> Tommy Lynch leaves the club with the uh, best team man award award again. Um, highly respected, highly valued around the club, most clearly. Um, Tex obviously leading goal kicker and, you know, his best season, particularly the first half of the season. It was great to see him yeah. up and about. It's such a shame the way it's uh, finished off this year, but uh, let's hope with the passage of a little bit of time and some uh, introspection from Tex that uh, he can finish his career uh, with a little bit of uh, self-respect and a little bit of recognition for the career that he's had. Um, okay. And Harry... Harry, although he couldn't get into the uh, AFL best under-22 team, what the actual hell? Yeah. What the actual hell? um, Won the Best Emerging Talent Award, uh, and rightly so. He's been an absolute standout this year for us, particularly as the season's gone and he got seven votes in the Rising Star. Seven votes in the Rising Star, even though none of the football journalists had him anywhere. Yep. Yeah, I thought he's, he had a tremendous year, and he was just and uh, the, as, as the season went on, I just thought he got better and better, and he's getting more and more confidence in himself as well. Um, he is definitely going to be a gun down the track. He's uh, he's played. Oh, he hasn't missed a game since he first came into the team last year. Um, and he hasn't played too many bad games in that time either. No, I, I really like him. He's he, he's one of the real success stories of the club, uh, and there's been a lot around him that haven't been. Yep. And shout out to to Jay Boyle who won the Dean Bailey Award for the best development player as well. Uh, yeah, really good. I really um, like I like Jay. Yeah, sixteen games, um, averaged nearly thirteen disposals, three clearances, and had. Kick six goals. Uh, so good work from Jay. Oh right. Um, so also in in the in the top ten. So you talked about. So Harry also made the top ten, and so did Jordan Butts. Yes, well, Jordan Butts. Harry made the top ten. Yeah, I think he did. No, he didn't. No, no, no. no, no he, he didn't. didn't. Or was he just no. outside? No, you're, you're absolutely wrong, Nikki. One hundred percent wrong. It wasn't in the top 11, really, Nicky, because no. they're too tight, too tight at 10. So, uh, um, but uh, it was pleasing to see Jordan Butts there because in our, in, he was in ninth position. Uh, he was, uh, if I'm correct in saying this, he was a rookie originally. Yep. Jordy Butts. Um, yep. And yes. it's amazing uh, the Crows' record with rookies. Um, I mean, Lady, who was our best and fairest, he was a rookie. Yep. For pleasure. Benny Rutten. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Benny Rutten. Yeah, I mean, if you went through Rory Laird. over the last, the last perhaps 20 years, you pick out some great players that have played for this football club that have started off as rookies. Well, how, how many uh, how many clubs do you reckon would have... I, I'd like to see the stats on how many rookies have actually gone on to win a club best and fairest, let alone two. Uh, 
it's an interesting thing. I, I'm not sure. Uh, you'd have, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if any others have, but um, it may well have happened, but we just don't know. Sure, one or two might have happened, but uh, yeah, very good. But to do to get two, very good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, so I think that's... Have we got anything else to talk about? Oh, a couple of things to talk about. A couple of whispers, which Pete and I will probably uh, have a bit more information on by the time we roll around to Tuesday Night Live on Tuesday. But uh, a lot of talk that um, Darren Burgess is uh, signed, sealed and delivered uh, as our replacement for Matt Haas. And... uh, the other one is that uh, Neil Baum is a done deal to come in in some capacity um, around football operations next year as well from Richmond. Yeah, the double Bs. Um, and look, I, I couldn't, it couldn't be better than to get those two. Um, Burgess, as we know, is a quality individual in terms of... Um, looking after teams and their fitness, uh, even to the point where he was good enough that, to be in the, the English uh, footy competition over there. And so that that can only be a plus for us. Um, and Neil Barham, uh, and I did see a throwaway comment back in the chat, that if, if Neil Barham had been here in the days of the camp, he would have just gone out there and made, throw, tossed away a few lines and it would have been all done and all over. And yeah. look, he would have He's just a, said, can't you, fellas? Be serious. Yeah, and, and it's because the guy's been so successful and he's got the respect of the football industry and I think that coming to our club, he will add respect for the club. Because um, uh, I think John Olsen has done a great job as uh, the chairman and I think that as an out, as a spokesman um, and also um, to bring in Barm, he will give us that respect in the football part. I, th- I wrote a post on Bigfooty a couple of days ago and I think it's worth noting that what has happened with our club since John Olsen has taken over and certainly uh, Chapman and Hazel um, leaving the club uh, along with a few staffers shows the terrible leadership that we were subjected to, the arrogance and the insular attitude of the previous regime because since those people have gone, uh, Fagan and Chapman and Hazel and a couple others, you know, and we've had Johnny Olsen come in and Adam Kelly and Tim Silvers, uh, you know, we've been willing to go to other clubs to get good talent and good people. Um, And to me, Neil Baum in any capacity is almost like uh, getting Malcolm Blight in. So uh, you've got to give credit yep. to John Olsen, and I've got to say that I wasn't a fan of him during his political career. Um, and uh, he used to live around the corner from my ex-wife back in the day up in Blair, and uh, there were many, many, many... He used to live on a corner, and there were many trench marks on his front garden from people backing their cars up and doing big burnouts on his front, on his front yard in, up in Blair. Not me, of course. Um but he is not a fan. No, 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 it wasn't me. Uh, but he had to put. He ended up having to put pine bollards on his front garden to uh, stop it. Um, but I tell you what, I tell you what, he has been a breath of fresh air and he's made such a difference. His leadership um, at the club, uh, and it could be further, um, 
you know, noted that we've got that site down at the Gasworks there that could be uh, the next Crows home. So it's so good yep. to see the Crows aggressive and proactive again instead of insular and uh, unapologetic and nepotistic and, uh, you know, arrogant. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he actually he also announced that we are going to be putting in a submission in partnership, and you may remember the name of the company, Nikki, um, that, uh, and for that particular site at the, uh, at the Gasworks. Yeah, and that's a smart move. I, I had to have a bit of a giggle um, at, because BAM isn't fully confirmed. They're, they're just all talking about, you know, we're just having initial discussions, but uh, a lot of people are kind of taking it almost as a fait accompli. Well, there's been um, a lot of lot of news outlets that have reported it as yeah, confirmed. I think, it's only the, I think it's only the aged that have, uh, uh, have been gentle about it. I think that was yesterday. I saw something from today that was a bit more. But what made me giggle on Twitter was somebody going, oh, the only problem is it's such a pity he'll have to report to Rue. And I'm just looking at that comment going, have you seen Neil Baum? Have you ever listened to Neil Baum? Rue might think he's in charge. It's not going to happen. Not yeah. going to happen. And I, th- I think the reason the Crows haven't announced they did, uh, they probably got it uh, signed up on Friday. And but they did want to announce it while the, the matches are on. I would say that Monday or Tuesday it'll be announced. Um, and what's it, the, the Channel Seven guy? Um, uh, uh, Theo drop. Yeah, Theo. Look, Theo. He gets his info first, oh, no, and he went yeah. for it. Yep, he went with and it. He announced. He went. He announced it. So to me, that's yeah. as good, good as gold. Same. Yep. Yep. I, I was just erring on the side of caution, but. Yeah, once I saw the comment from him, I was just like, yeah, okay, I'm very happy for next year. Well, let, let's just talk quickly about Neil Baum because Neil Baum had great success at Norwood um, yep. in an era that was dominated by Port and Sturt. Yep. Um, he went over to, he went back to Victoria. Well, obviously, he was a successful player, but uh, as as a uh, an administrator and a coach, he has had success at Geelong had success at Collingwood. He's had success at Richmond. Uh, success it's seems to follow him. the man, and it's no coincidence, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, I know Richmond people who just speak so, so highly of him. Um, and I thought it was going to be quite hard to get him out of that club because he's treated exceedingly well there. Um, but I... I wonder if he sees this as a bit of a, a nice little challenge as well and a, another oh, little step. Some, and, and He's got some family over here too. Yeah. yeah. I and think Craig's well. over here and his mum's over no, here. He, I think. His wife wants to come home. Yeah. And um, Neil Baum is, as you were saying, playing uh, quite correctly, he's an icon of the game. He's actually an icon of the game. And he yeah. brings not within just what he can do, but he brings a massive image with him, and all of a sudden it puts a great respectability into the club as well. Yep. Yep. Uh, interesting to see what happens with Adam Kelly um, because uh, the reports are that Neil will come in as head of football. I seem to think that, um, well, I'm not sure whether Adam's going to leave or not. I think there's a there's a possibility that, um, because Rashudo is currently a football director, um, I actually think they might actually take that role out of the board and give it to Neil and make Neil basically report to the board um, 
rather than have uh, a director of football at board level. That's what I think. And then oversee operations. Yep. And uh, that's very likely. Um, And Adam Kelly, uh, um, in spite of his slow drawl that makes him very suitable for the farmer wants a wife, um, I I just think that he's a, you know, he's done a reasonably good job. You've just revealed that you watched that bloody shit show. (laughs) No, I I don't. I I don't. You see the ads for it, and I always think Adam Kelly should go in for an interview. (laughs) Come, Come on, mate, you're better than that. All right, so there's a bit going on at the Crows. Uh, all good news. Um, and, uh, look, if uh, if those announcements are made uh, over the course of the next few days, obviously Burgess won't be made because he's still involved with Melbourne. Uh, but you only have to look at how fit they are at the moment to uh, understand the value of Mr Burgess. Uh, but certainly we might hear some more about Neil Baum during the week. Ladies and gentlemen, that's about it, I reckon. Anything yeah. else you'd yeah. like to add? Have I forgotten anything? No, no, you haven't. And I think that uh, Tuesday night, I I presume that you and Pete will be talking about our list and uh, what may or may not happen. Oh, me and Pete just talk about shit. (laughs) Yeah, that was a a given. I was going to say, isn't that some of our list? That was a given, (laughs) but I thought you might have a subject matter. Uh, I haven't really thought about it. That's mean. Sorry, apologies to our list. That was a bit mean. Yeah, I haven't really, haven't really thought about it yet, Mac. Um, we're probably, I don't think we'll probably do a real list deep dive until after the grand final. Um, but we might have a talk about the uh, state under 19s game that that happened between South Australia and Western Australia um, over the weekend. And if anyone hasn't watched it and wants to watch it, it's up on uh, YouTube. Um, interested South Australia for those that didn't know um, got towed up pretty much um, so it wasn't a great showcase of South Australian talent but by gee there's some good bloody WA talent coming through this year there is there always is yeah they're big and strong too they're far bigger and stronger than 90% of our team that's for sure uh, but Pete and I will uh, talk a bit about that um, so yeah thanks for that Mac uh, don't forget people listening uh tuesday night live 8 30 on tuesday night of course with myself and peter um but yeah mac we'll uh we'll get into the list stuff after the grand final i reckon yeah they'll i think there'll be little bits and pieces like trickling it out about news about you know whether other players are looking elsewhere um or whether who we're going to delist etc so i think that'll drib and drab over the next following yeah there'll be there'll be a couple of more delistings, I think, um, maybe, uh, although they might wait, wait until uh, after the trade period. Who knows? But uh, anyway, all right. Well, look, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, thanks to all of you for your ongoing support, everyone on Discord, everyone who's uh, watching on YouTube and picking us up on demand after the event. Don't forget, if you want to support us, uh, you can go to uh, patreon.com and... Uh, yeah. What am I doing here? It's just an absolute schmuzzle. <laughs> absolute schmuzzle. I don't know. I'm just trying to be smart and it's just not bloody working. I should know better. <laughs> I should know better. There we go. Thanks to everyone. That's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to give a shout out to everyone who's supporting us on Patreon. It's very much appreciated. Um, and uh, if you'd like to go and do so, uh, patreon.com forward slash AFL Crowcast. 
Um, I think that's it. I've got nothing left. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> so all, all the legends who, who who tuned in to us tonight, there's like, what is it? There were 20 or something listening in the live studio and all the ones on the chat. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are nuts. Yeah. <laughs> but we thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. All right. Yeah, thanks, guys. We'll see you later. Yeah. We'll see you on Tuesday night. Night all. Night all. Night all.